This is Dad Jerron, regularly ruminating on rhetorical reasoning for regaling irrational relations with the ramifications of reality. I'm Zero. I'm Chikri. Everybody calls me Chi. What are we talking about today, Chi? We are talking about a specific time that happened to me a couple years ago at a place called Strategicon. And I like Strategicon. I would say everybody should go. It's a quarterly convention for strategic games in Los Angeles. And it's really fun. But sometimes you run into gamer bros. And we all kind of have had our own experiences with gamer bros. And this is one that stuck around with me because I felt like I should have said something. But I kind of just let it roll. And I, I wish I hadn't. So what happened was we had a GM or a storyteller, a dungeon master, whatever you want to call him. I like storyteller the best. And this storyteller was like, we need to all have character voices, which can be really fun. It can be like, you know, really deep voices or little high voices in falsetto. And then you're like a barbarian. You're like, I crushed this guy's skull. It can be really fun. But it can also go a little sideways sometimes. And for this game, I had a really thick pseudo-Russian accent, which is maybe the only accent that I can consistently do terribly. But then, like, the game was sort of rolling on, and the GM was doing an NPC voice, and the NPC voice was basically... It started out kind of pseudo-Asian, exotic. I'm doing hand quotations, exotic. And then he went left hand into more high fantasy and then was like no 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 i gotta get it back and this is what kind of clued me in that i was like something's going on here and then he steered it back around to what i can only describe as like a mickey rooney chinese accent from breakfast at Ten tiffany's i don't really want to do it here you don't have to do it here actually actively do not do it here thank you Ugh. it just made me feel bad and so i was like kind of gave him a look and i was like whoa whoa and he's like and then this is the line that made me wish I had said something. He's like, there aren't any Asians here. And I'm like, what? Excuse So you know, so you know that what you're doing would make somebody who's Asian uncomfortable. So I don't know. I didn't, we were in the middle of combat and it was a very grind heavy sort of thing. And I didn't know this guy super well. And so I kind of let it slide, but I really wish I had said something, but I didn't have anything pithy and quick and be able to just shut him down right then and also i didn't know because i was doing a russian accent if i had really a leg to stand on or where that breakdown is between acceptable fantasy even a bad high fantasy accent to basically just a racist accent and like where where that breakdown is i didn't know and i still don't really know and then just to get into like our part two so that's part one part two is then later he did a Dan Harmon like throw in where he made an NPC a she and he's like she gets up because we're in the middle of battle it's a cultist she gets up and does this thing then he was like you know let's go do something else they and one of the other players was like oh you're not supposed to say they because that's dehumanizing and I because I have like been thinking about I'm gender queer and gender fluid they People can definitely use they if that's their chosen pronoun, if that's what they want to be called by. And I was trying to like say that to him, and the storyteller cut me off and was like, uh, "Whatever you can call be called whatever you want to be called. You know, gender fluid is like a thing." And he said it with this weird sort of inflection. I was like, "Is that? I don't know." 
Is that being dismissive? You said you wanted to have a safe space at the beginning of this game, but then now you have clearly not needed a safe space. Or at least a very uncomfortable space. And again, I, I didn't I didn't say anything. I was very cowardly, and I, I wish I had said something. And now, uh, this is our topic for today. Zero, go. I don't know that it's fair to call yourself cowardly, considering some other stuff you told me about that situation that I'm not going to share unless you want shared. But it also sounds like you were not getting backup from people who should have had your back in that situation. Both of those statements are all true. <laughs> but I, I wanted to have the starring moment where I was like, this way, snap, snap, snap. I didn't even get the French call it the stairwell humor where you think of something clever after the fact. Yeah, staircase win. Staircase win. And Strategic is coming up again. And so I'm like, oh man, am I going to see this guy again? Like, what's going to happen? I want to have some pithy, funny comebacks ready. So uh, the questions for Zero and for this podcast are, number one, what is the breakdown between a, a racist accent and a bad fantasy accent? Where do you want to draw that line and how can you kind of think about that? And two, queer trending isn't a thing. <laughs> and she should feel more comfortable being more open and pushy about being gender fluid. It's true. I like how you're like, we should talk about this, but it's just true. <laughs> but it's hard. It's so hard. It is. It's like, when I say it out loud, this seems very obvious. Uh. Yeah, well, that's the concept behind our show, right? Zero is that these are things that when it, you are on at home, Facebooking, it's really easy to be like, yeah, such and such. But then when you're faced with somebody in a situation that's fast moving and you don't want to make a huge scene, but you want to call somebody out, it muddies the water a lot. I mean, I will say flat out that we'll see how useful my advice actually is, because to a certain extent, you are significantly more social, socially attuned to the ramifications of your social actions than I am. And I don't know if that's the at-birth assignment parts coming out or the Midwestern upbringing parts of that, but I actually just think there's parts of you that genuinely care how much people will think of you and have opinions of you in social situations more than I do. Oh yeah, for sure I want to be liked. <laughs> I want to make yeah. this through. Still being liked. <laughs> So I'm going to try to approach it from that point of view and give good advice thinking in that way, because my advice would be the usual, uh, I don't know, just do what you want. And if people don't like it, don't hang out with them anymore. But that's not helpful advice to you because you no. want to be liked by people. I want to be liked by people. And there's certain circumstances where, uh, like, if you have a brother or something and their best friend is, like, problematic and you want to hang out with your brother all the time, you know, you... You have to kind of get along with the problematic person. You can't. No, you don't. There are circumstances that you can just write everybody out, but it's just a, such a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, you can, in fact, just call those people out. And I want that to be the first thing I say on this topic. Unless this person is actively going to make you lose the job you desperately need, if this is just a friend of the family or a brother, let's, let me talk to the audience now. If this okay. is just a friend of the family or, like, a friend to your brother or significant other, you can just call them out on your garbage, and not only will you learn about them, you'll learn about how much that other person cares about you, too. True. That's true. It's a perfect test. Oh, man. There's no downside. 
Yes, there is. There's huge downsides. What if they choose the other person? That's terrible. Then, then you have to hang out with two less people. That's two less gifts you have to buy on holidays. It's only advantages. <laughs> so now that we've gotten that out of the way, but you want to hang out with people. I want to hang out with people. I know. That's why we're going to approach this from your point. That's that's why this entire podcast is based around your point of view about human interaction and not my point of view about human interaction. Because <laughs> I was like, this person seems like a problem. Why do you spend any time with them at all? Just spend all your time alone. Like, go to your apartment and be alone there. No. I've saved you all a lot of energy. <laughs> so... I think those are two very distinct topics. I know that you and our producer saw them as connected. And I do think it's important to address that in the moment, it can seem very easy to look at these as just two personal attacks. And they are, to a certain extent, particularly if you stepped in to defend people who weren't there, which is what you were doing. And that got the brush off because those people weren't there. And that, that, I think, says a lot about your level of empathy. Like, you're thinking about these folks. You, you can imagine how people would react if they aren't there, and you care about it, as opposed to other people who imagine how people would react if they aren't there and don't care about it. But the other one is, it's more of a systemic concern that maybe spreads from the first one. Like, these people have already demonstrated to you that they, they don't have sufficient empathy to meet your standards, and so you don't want to reveal things to them. But that to me is a deeper issue because you you got this thing and it got dismissed, but it wasn't dismissed in the same way as the other one is because saying whatever, those people aren't here is actually very different from saying this issue doesn't matter to me. Because in one, you're essentially saying this issue does matter to me because I know there will be social consequences but I don't think there will be social consequences right now. And the other one essentially says, I don't believe there are social consequences to me for one way or another. So I'm choosing the way of essentially least resistance, which weirdly in this case is sort of a net positive, although it's not really a net positive because it, it's obviously hurting you. But this person has decided that caring about someone's pronouns is to them easier to just go along with someone's pronouns than it is to fight them over it like certain people online seem super invested into this inaccurate fight over pronouns and that's like that's that's movement that's ally-ish that's it's like like not even the minimum it's below minimum but it's weirdly better than most of the country is doing because this country is regularly below standard this is what made me think of that, though, which is that it kind of reminds me, and this is a, a your dad moment that I got, it made me start thinking about making the show, which is, producer, if you could help me out with the name of it, Oliver Horn, I think is his name. Yeah. His YouTube channel, he's talking about uh, your dad. And one of the things that these people, you, it used to be a common thing when people were like, I'm an ally. I don't care what you do in the bedroom. Like, I'm okay with gays as long as they keep it in the bedroom. Or whatever they do in the bedroom. Ah, uh, okay. I know what you're talking about, yeah. And to me, it kind of, it rang very similar to that. Like, I'll call you whatever you want. I'm not going to think of you that way, but I'll call you that way. 
yeah, it's your it's your old favorite thing. It's the fake libertarian point of view where people are like, I'm I'm fiscally conservative but socially liberal, where you're essentially like not realizing that one thing is directly connected to another. Like people's private lives affect their public life, and if you act like one isn't connected to the other, you're just being delusional. But it makes it sound okay and like topically okay. But to me, what was hurtful about it was it was just like very dismissive. It's like, yeah, yeah, good, good, whatever. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the dismissive one first or the accent one first? I think they're totally different subjects, and I don't know that we'll necessarily have time for both. So I want to talk about the one you feel is more important to you first. Let's talk about the accents first. Okay. So the accent one, let's start from that question you had about, quote, is this racist? And I, I want to start here because this is one of the weirdly most misunderstood things that people get confused about. Racism deals with power dynamics between races. In the country or just in general, in the world? Yes, people who are white Russian dudes are doing okay in terms of the power they wield on the planet. Okay. You doing a bad Russian accent, probably not going to be that big of a deal. But to use another group of white people who are generally get their accents mimicked a lot, if you were in certain parts of England and you did a bad Irish accent, you might legit be being racist. And if you do a bad Irish accent in some parts of the U.S., you're probably being racist. But if you do a bad Irish accent in general, it can be very hard to tell. Because the power dynamics for how Irish people are treated, and I pick Irish because Irish is one of the most most favorite, like, weird white supremacist nonsense to compare to black people. Irish people were definitely mistreated. And so there are power dynamics there and how they relate to other bigger parts of the country. Like all the British colonies and how they relate to Irish people is a very interesting thing. So when you do Irish accents, you're taking like a big risk that people often don't think about. So you have to be really careful with that. Whereas if you do a Russian accent, you're probably fine. Unless, you know, a Russian person says, stop, I find that super insulting. In which case, you're being a jerk and you're being insulting, but you're not necessarily being racist. You can, in fact, be an insulting jerk without being racist. But if you're being racist, you're always an insulting jerk as well. Yeah, you can be an asshole and not just be an, a racist. But if you're being racist, you're for sure being an asshole. Correct. Yeah, it's the square rhombus. <laughs> And that's people get confused because they think they think when you call someone racist, you're calling them an asshole and you are. But sometimes you can call someone an asshole without calling them a racist. Think on that. But that's and I think that's important to remember because that seems like a crux of your discussion where this person doesn't understand the power dynamics that go along with bad Asian accents. And the Breakfast at Tiffany's one is a great example. And it's it's important to say Asians as well, because it's not like it was just the Japanese or the Chinese or Korean people or Vietnamese people. Literally, Hollywood considered them interchangeable. 
and they all got the same bad Asian accent. So there's not only are there lots of ways to have bad Asian accents, there's also this sort of very specific bad Asian accent that's that 50s Hollywood bad Asian accent. And that comes down to acceptable targets in a lot of ways, where if something is considered weaker than you, there are lots of folks in this country who think it is okay to attack that thing, and there's lots of other folks who will laugh with them. And that, I don't want to say it's the heart of racism, because racism is super complicated, but that idea of this thing is easy to attack, and if I attack it, everything will go better for me in life, is definitely a major component of racism. So if you're doing an accent and you are looking at that accent and thinking, this accent dreadfully misrepresents a large group of people for literally no gain, except I think it will make me more popular. It's okay to stop doing it. And it's okay to stop doing it even if nobody asks you to stop. And if you do an accent because you think, this accent's bad, but it really represents my character, and you just keep going on, and you're like, this is bad? You can also just stop there, too. It's okay. Okay, but what would you... I guess, like, the heart of my question was more, like, what is the answer? Because I'm trying to come up with... If I had called this guy out and been like, no, that really is racist, the answer then would be, like, well, this is just fantasy. I guess that was also his kind of answer that's, like, it's not affecting anybody. How do you address that part of it, which is, like, well, we're just having fun here. Does that make sense? Yes. That's like, this guy isn't even Asian. This guy's not Chinese. He's from this country, blah, 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 blah. So how can it be racist? So how would you disassemble that argument? And what is the argument against that kind of a thing? So you're talking to the guy and the guy is saying... This is a hypothetical. We're into hypothetical. Yeah. 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 There's a hypothetical discussion where... We're looking at both sides of the issue, and we're discussing this guy who is defending his racism by saying it's not hurting anybody, essentially. Yeah. Because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Like, all that, we're having fun and all this other stuff. And if you think this person cares about you and your opinion, I would say the easiest place to start is to just say, well, it's hurting me because I care about other people. That sounds so pretentious, though. Well, I care about other people. And it's true, I do care about other people, but like, he would say, well, so do I. Most people care about other people, Zero, not just people that go chill in their apartment all day. The premise of this discussion is that you actually want to have a discussion with this person, correct? True. So, it's okay to start out by saying you care about other people. Okay. If this guy comes back with the response that he also cares about other people, you can say, well, then can you stop doing the accent for me? Okay. Then you'll get a pretty good response as to whether he actually cares about other people immediately in the moment. I don't know that I agree with your theory that lots of people care about other people, but I do agree that lots of people will say that they do. Okay. That's what I meant. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. This person may or may not care about other people they're directly connected to. And essentially, if they responded to you with this statement that, well, there's none of them there, you saying that this hurts you because, like, it's racist and people being racist around you is not something that makes your fantasy fun, then you're essentially calling them out on the idea that there's no one around this will hurt. You're, you're taking a gamble that they care about your feelings in that case. And 
I do want to discuss some strategies in for when they don't care about your feelings that aren't just leave. Because actually one of the podcasts that goes to Strategicon a lot, Happy Jacks, used to give that advice often. And they started being faced with the idea that some people can't find other gaming groups and do have to deal with these sorts of like racist people. And like I said, the first thing is use some of that social capital you presumably have been earning. Like, what are you saving your social capital for except to confront people? And that's a question I will actually pose to you. Presumably, by being nice to other people, you're saving up social capital. Like, you have a social bank account with all the people you interact with, and you spend it in each interaction, and it lets you get away with stuff. Think of discussions like that. Like, you have this certain amount of social capital, and it matters to the people you're around, and you don't actually know what it's worth until you start spending it. And this is a really good chance to get a gauge on what that social capital you've earned is worth. It's true. I guess I hadn't thought about that. And it's more important to remember that this would also be a public conversation. And this is something our producer and I were talking about the other day, that all conversations in public are at least somewhat inherently performative. You should also be looking at the way other people react when you say this, because at the point where you're having this conversation in public, you are now representing that social group. It is very different than a private conversation. And when you say, this sort of thing hurts me, you are now holding the whole group to a standard. So you're expending social capital among everybody there at different rates. So if there's people in the group who maybe didn't have your back when you just said, hey, I think that accent's racist, and they still don't have your back when you say, it's sufficiently racist that if you could not do it anymore, I would appreciate that. Even if the person themselves doesn't immediately stop, you're going to want to look around and see if you actually have any friends who will back you up at that table. Because that's really good information for you to have, depending on how you want to continue this conversation. Okay, so I like this. I like this because it's not really an argument, per se, like, but it is a good reaction. I'd say that I really like this reaction. Like, okay, so let's come up with a script for nobody's paying attention or no, everybody's looking at you like, what are you making a big deal out of? This is one of those things that it's like, maybe the answer is like, I don't know how to make other people realize that they should be compassionate. Um, so I'm going to say this. You can't make other people do anything, really. You can sometimes force people into doing things, but like... At the end of the day, these people are going to make their own choices, and the best you can do is be convincing and help them get to the place you want them to be. But you can't make them stay there, and you can't necessarily even make them join you there. You are choosing the path of compassion in this case. Other people are not, and you have to decide how far down that path you're willing to take this. As I was joking at the beginning, up to and including leaving if people don't back off. And this is why I actually think it's a different situation from the first one you're describing, because that was dismissive, but it also was meant to end the discussion, whereas the other, in the other statement, there aren't any of them there, is a neutral statement. It essentially says, nobody here cares. Okay, so I guess you're looking at the, around at the table. We've gotten to the point that you're saying, I care. Can you not do it for me? And then... Like, I guess, where do you go from there if they're like, still, I'm just going to keep doing this character voice and everybody around you is like, I'm, 
I don't understand why you're saying this. That's a rough spot to be in. Because that's why part of the reason I felt cowardly and didn't say anything was that everybody around me was either not paying attention or like, what's the big deal? I don't understand why you're saying anything. That was the vibe that I got from the table. And so I backed off and I didn't keep going. But if I had kept going, I don't even have the script for that. That would be like, no, this is a really big deal. Yeah. It is racist and we should be, I guess like, it is maybe acceptable to just really be bald about that. And that was kind of what you were saying earlier that just saying, well, I care, please do this for me is kind of a bald, like a, a flat statement. You know what I'm saying? It's not nuanced. Yes. The reason why, well, I care is a nuanced statement is because the statement, well, I care, is a direct and extremely nuanced challenge because it gives you a lot of options to their statement that, well, there aren't any Asian people here. Because to a certain extent, the statement there aren't any Asian people here, while accurate, is a statement that nobody here cares enough to challenge it. And if there were people here who would care enough to challenge it, I wouldn't be doing it. So by challenging it, you open up a path for conversation that this person did not expect to go on, which from a strategic standpoint gives you an advantage, which is why I would say it's a good tactic. You can always just approach this person afterwards and have a conversation about it if you want to have the non-public conversation. And that that is a totally optional tactic. If you want to talk to somebody privately afterwards or if like there's a break in the game, then you're in the same situation, and I really think you should say the same thing. You'll just have different, I guess, options afterwards. If you confront them at the table, you'll learn more about the other people at the table. If you confront them afterwards, it'll be much easier for them to shut you down and ignore you, but you risk finding out you don't have as many friends at the table. Or if you like go afterwards, then maybe they'll be less defensive. You know what I mean? Like If you call out somebody in the middle of a group, then they can be like, you know, why are you embarrassing me in front of everybody? Kind of a concept. Maybe. Yeah, possibly. How often has that worked out for you? I have not expended that very often. And for me, when I have done this with older people, it has really backfired on me personally. To call people out in groups. I have very rarely found someone to be less racist in private than they are in public. I don't know. I mean... I'm not a white person. It's possible you literally have more convincing power in this situation than I do. But, like, in my experience, calling someone out for being racist in private has never once made them less racist or defensive. Now, calling someone out in public has not necessarily made someone less racist or defensive. But at least then I can get a sense of how many other people in this area are also racist. And that's important information for me personally. Okay. (laughs) I've heard the theory a lot that people will be less defensive if you call them out in private. There's not really a way to A-B test that because often in these situations you don't get a a ton of chances to like ask someone the exact same thing in public and in private. But I've definitely had people come up afterwards and say, hey, if you brought that up in private, I would have been more receptive. And I often imagine those are the same people who say, Well, if those protesters had been more polite, I'd totally be on their side. 
because it's really easy to have that hypothetical situation, but I think people are actually more, you're, you're sort of exemplifying the point. I think people are more afraid of social consequence than they are of personal consequence a lot of the time. I think that's worth thinking about. Okay. Like, like you're, you're taking a bigger risk by calling them out in a social situation because you're afraid the social situation will turn on you, right? Yeah. But they're also going to be afraid of that during this discussion. Unless they're <laughs> me, I won't care. But like, in a general sense, the other person is going to be just, like, they're just as scared of you as you are of them. <laughs> or rather, you're both sort of equally scared that in this situation, the table's going to turn on you. And you're, you're, you're having, like, a weird Lord of the Rings-style wizard duel to see which of you will win this contest of wills across the table. And I don't know of a way to save you from that for the question you're asking. But it is important to keep in mind that while we do live in a fairly racist country, a lot of folks are trying to be better, and they need someone to do the first calling out. And you have a massive advantage calling people out for being racist because you're not the target of the racism. So it's actually harder for the people in the situation to laugh it off as you just being overly sensitive and unable to take a joke because you're the target audience. Yeah. Okay. Sort of. No, I think literally I was the target audience because we were sitting at a small table and like nobody else, he was speaking only to our group. So we were the audience that was being targeted by this, this voice. So step one, yeah. just to recap this, cause I'm a little lost. So step one, decide that the voice that is happening at a fantasy table or RPG table or on a joke is like, decide that it's a, a racist thing is happening. <laughs> A racist accent is happening. I so so let me let me start with step one, which is the implicit step one, but I think it's important to lay it out. Decide this is a hill you might be willing to die on. Because if you're not, there's no point in starting the conversation, which is essentially what you're describing. Like in the moment, this was not a hill you were willing to die on. Where in this case dying is possibly leaving this group and these people forever. If you decide that it is a hill you want to die you're willing to die on. Give people a chance to be good people, even if it's in very small ways. And I think that's what is sort of being misinterpreted here. You should call this person out because this person only thinks racism hurts people when they hear it. Okay, that's a key point. Like, that that's the statement they're essentially making when there's like, well, there's no Asian people here, so me being racist doesn't hurt anybody. Do you think this would be also applicable to, like, locker room talk? Where, like, if there's two... Yes. Okay. Yes. Asked and answered. Yes. <laughs> there's no such thing as locker room talk. There's just other situations where people are bad people. Okay. There, there's not a magical zone where it becomes okay to be racist and sexist and bigoted. That zone is not the locker room or the gaming table or anywhere else. It's always bad. You should call people out on it. The reason why locker rooms is, again, because people feel vulnerable there. So you're like, we're in a locker room together. We're both getting naked after doing a sport we enjoy. They're being very vulnerable and open with me. I shouldn't attack them for being vulnerable and open with me. I'm like, well, if they're being racist, you really should. Yeah, that's now they're, they're weak. Get them. <laughs> well, okay. I like where you're going because now you're thinking like me. But remember, the point of this conversation is to think like you. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. So I appreciate that line of thought because, yes, they think you're both vulnerable, but only they're vulnerable. 
they're just as tough in this situation as any other. <laughs> now destroy them. But in the situation where you're in a locker room with somebody and not I'm in a locker room with somebody, then really it's it's more of this situation where presumably you both feel vulnerable, which is what was happening at the table. Like you're worried people will get defensive, which means that you understand that they're also going to feel vulnerable in this situation. So I'm not saying use the table against them, because I, I actually agree with you that that will turn out poorly sort of for everyone involved. But just telling them that what they're doing hurts people outside of the target audience could be giving them the chicory patent pending benefit of the doubt. <laughs> that could be what they need to convince them, oh, I just shouldn't do this in general because... It's not a victimless crime if I do it here as opposed to doing it somewhere else. Because they already know it's wrong. Their statement makes it clear. They know what they were doing is wrong. They just didn't think it would hurt anyone here. That's really what got me. That's what tipped, tipped me off, man. Yeah. That's why it was more of what our discussion has been rather than where, I guess, or maybe we should circle back to this. Where is the line between fantasy accents and racial accents? And for lack of a better word, it's like porn. Like you just know it when you know it. Or is there like a... Um, I don't... That's... Let, let's talk about this. You're right. You're right. Let's circle back on that. In the real world, racism is power as it aligns with oppression and other forces. So slavery is racist because of the power dynamic. Confederate Putting up Confederate statues is racist because they exert fear and change history that oppress people. When you do an accent in a fantasy world, let's say you're giving somebody a noble English accent mm -hmm. in a fantasy world. We'll, we'll say it's Star Wars, where the Empire has this British accent. The British are not a group of people that culturally has been massively oppressed. Giving their voices to the villains is not particularly racist, because the villains are not lacking power in Star Wars. No, they're more powerful. That's like the whole idea, right? Yeah. So you're taking a group that is not traditionally particularly oppressed, and you're not putting them in a situation where they're being oppressed. You're making them the oppressor. But the intersection there, it may or may not be a questionable choice for getting your movie sold in the UK, but it's not really racist. However, when you look at the source material for Star Wars, Flash Gordon, and you have Emperor Ming the Merciless, and you start playing into these stereotypes about Asian people, and it goes from being this thing where... I thought you were going to go into the Trade trade Federation, but okay. Oh, well, we could talk a lot about the racism in Phantom Menace. Let's not. You know what? I'm I'm going to leave Phantom Menace alone for right now because I'm pretty sure I could do an hour and a half. I'm pretty sure I could do the length of the Phantom Menace on the racism in the oh, Phantom man. Menace or oh, longer. Man. So, we'll go back to the source material. We're go to we'll go to Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon where the yellow peril thing where people are afraid of the exot like the quote-unquote exotic east and the evil people that come from it is very different and the best the best metaphor I can think of for it that'll be that's sort of easy to understand without diving into it too deeply. So let me just say, folks, there's a lot to unpack there, and you should go and do your research because there's a lot to say here. But instead of saying it's like porn where you know it when you see it, it's like how there are families 
where it's totally cool for you and your brothers to make fun of each other and your parents and like you and your brother and your sister and your other siblings, no matter what their gender expression is, make fun of each other in probably possibly horrible ways. Maybe you make fun of your parents. Maybe you make fun of your relatives. But if someone from outside of the family made the same joke, you would come at them super hard because they're not allowed to make that joke. That's the way accents work sometimes. And I don't think it's that hard to figure out what the sort of family group of the Americas is. And it doesn't involve a ton of Asia. There are parts of the U.S. that involve a ton of Asia. But making fun of the U.K. is going to generally be more acceptable in this country than making fun of Asia will ever be because of the power dynamic there. And that's true of a lot of different areas. And it's important to be cognizant when you're doing that because the other way you can be really racist, and this is something when I'm running games as a GM, I'm constantly aware of and think about all the time when I'm designing characters, you don't want to give an oppressed people an accent that has belonged to oppressed people. It's kind of okay, as we just established, like, just because... Again, the U.S. is real bad about nuance with Asia, but we'll say just because Japan conquered a lot of places, it's not necessarily okay to make a Japanese character that's a conqueror character with a stereotypical Japanese accent. But it's it's really more acceptable to give oppressors oppressor accents than to give the oppressed accents of the oppressed. It's not like verisimilitude and it's not realistic and you really should never do that. Okay. I guess that answers that question. It was a long answer, but yeah, the answer is you do know it when you hear it and don't do it and feel comfortable using your leverage of having basically the higher ground. You cannot win um, or they can't win. What was the thing in Star Wars? Anyway. I have the higher ground, Anakin. Yeah. But essentially, like, by... What's with you in the prequels? I just... Don't ask. <laughs> I wanted them to be so good, and then they 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 weren't. But they have a lot of really great one-liners, and they have a lot of issues. Yep. And because people are know that they're not good movies, I think people are more willing to listen to the issues in those films than they are in like any of the other like original trilogy films. That's a fair point. But if you are coming at this from, you know, a place of compassion. It's very hard to then have the your opponent argue against you. Like, they can't argue a lot of different points. Like, they've kind of backed themselves in a corner by being assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not as soon as you said that, I had this mental picture of, ah, uh, yes, the asshole corner. <laughs> You're right, that's a real place, and people back themselves into it super easily. Yeah, and you can, depending on circumstance... It should be okay to sort of roll the dice and say something really quick about it, about being like, hey, that does make me really uncomfortable. Oh, there's nobody here. Well, I'm here and it's making me uncomfortable. Can you just lay off? And then if they're like, still like, no, or this is a fantasy, well, you know, maybe a little bit longer conversation. It's still bad, essentially. And you know what you're doing. Like, you know what you're doing. I can't believe that somebody could do like a bad Asian accent and not sort of realize that that's what they're doing. 
Yeah. Well, and even more importantly, if they come back at you at the, this is just a fantasy, it's like, yeah, and my fantasy doesn't involve really bad Asian accents. And even in that case, you brought it up earlier, offer to stop doing your accent if they'll stop doing theirs. Like, give them a trade. You can just trade out of this, and then you'll know how committed they are to their bad Asian accent. Yeah. Like, be magnanimous about it, but I think I think it is good to approach it from the point of view, like, all the tactical locker room throat tearing aside, approach it from the point of view that they will be just as concerned in that social confrontation as you will be. There's no reason to assume you're the only person who has anything to lose in that social confrontation. Like, when we were talking about a friend of your brother earlier, yeah, your brother might side with them, but they're at risk if they push back. They, they have to ask themselves, do I think they're going to side with me or their sibling? Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, it's never a one-sided thing. Like, you can't guarantee you'll win. You, you can never guarantee you'll win. And I don't really think of them as arguments. Like, I want to get to the correct point. I just think that it's fairly easy to tell what the correct point is in a discussion about racism. Like, it's on the side of be less racist. And if I, if I have to give up my bad Irish or my bad English or my bad Russian or, or my bad Dutch or German or any other, like, language that's not particularly considered racist southern accent in order to get yeah in order to get someone else to give up their racist accent i think that's okay that's canadian that is a trade i no i'll never give up my bad canadian accent <laughs> a <laughs> i'm sorry canada that was unnecessary of me yeah. and i lashed out i'm sorry i apologize you should have said it like that okay you're the monster <laughs> never mind so yeah, but like, if you have to give up your Russian accent so they'll give up their bad Asian accent, are you okay with that? I feel like this is something you'd be fine with. I'd be totes cool. It'd be one less less thing to worry about. Oh my gosh, it gets kind of tiring. But still, voices are fun. I, I want to say voices are fun in RPGs. RPGs are fun. And I think if I had said something, they probably would have come around pretty quickly. So let's sum up the advice, which is, first of all, listen to the way they respond which I think is important, and I think you did a good job of that because you came back with the story. So you have to listen to how they respond because that will dictate what you do next. But no matter what you do next, make sure that this is a hill you're willing to die on because at the end of this, if you're really just getting ganged up on the whole group and they're telling you, hey, racism is fun and okay, all joking aside, you should be willing to walk away from that group. It might be the only game in town but I've been gaming since 1997. I've been gaming a long time. I've gotten a lot of my friends into it. I enjoy it a lot. I've gone through long periods of not gaming because there were no games nearby. And even now, my game is multi-state, multi-time zone. Sometimes you just have to walk away from a group for life reasons. And I think a perfectly okay life reason is my last group was a bunch of racist people who didn't respect me. Mm. Mm. Like, this is an acceptable reason to walk away from a group. Yeah. It just if once you've decided that that's a hill you're willing to die on, start the conversation. I say start it in public. Maybe if you're in different circumstances, you will have a person who will respond better in private than in public. But if the issue came up in public, I don't personally see a reason continuing it in public. And remember that you both have social consequences on the line. In some some respects, you are gambling social capital against each other by extending the conversation. But you are not the only one with something to lose 
And it's important to remember that because it can feel very isolating. And you can be looking around the table and like everybody's stone faced and you don't know what anyone's thinking and you don't know what any of the reactions mean. And it feels like no one's backing you up, but they're possibly doing the same thing. And they might be looking at those same stone faces and lack of responses you're looking at and thinking everyone's turning against them. And they're at the disadvantage in the case you brought up specifically. That person already knows they were wrong. They just didn't think they were wrong in this specific circumstance. Or they weren't going to get caught. Yeah, more accurately, they thought it was a victimless crime. But like, if they responded the way they did, they knew they were wrong. I think that, that would apply to like a lot of what I only know to term as like locker room jokes and things like that. That would be like, you know what you're doing is wrong. Yes. You just think that like it's going to be victimless for now or that nobody's going to call you out on it. Well, and the saddest thing about all those locker room and backroom and discussions is that they're really just cries for a safe place where people can like process the emotions they don't understand. But the people who tend to fall back on that talk are so often against safe space talk that they don't understand that that's what they're saying when they say, oh, it was just a locker room discussion, which is like, it's essentially a statement that I need a place that feels safe for me to discuss the feelings I don't understand. And you're attacking my safe place. But they would never phrase it that way because to them safe places are like, like you're weak if you need one. But that's what locker room talk means. It means I thought this was a safe place, bro. Why are you coming at me in this place we both agreed was safe? Like, holy ground, Highlander. Yeah, we were both naked, Highlander. We just got playing s- sports ball, Highlander. Yeah, we were naked in the showers together. I could see your weakness and you could see mine. <laughs> can we call... Can we call... I, Locker rooms. I want to call all penises from now on your weakness. I'm really curious how that will go over with your husband. Probably not well. Either he'll think it's hilarious or not well. Just let me know because I'm curious about this research. Okay, I'll report back. Do we have time to get into part two or not? I think that there's at least another hour to do on that other one because I think they're very distinct topics. I might be wrong. We'll have a two-part episode. I was going to circle back, but I do think that this episode should be called I Can See Your Weakness and You Can See Mine. Because that was actually not meant to be uh, a, like that specific metaphor. It was actually meant to be for the whole conversation. Because that's essentially what you would be doing at the table with this other person. You, you're essentially challenging them. Is this a hill they're willing to die on? Is their fake fantasy world worth having this racist accent in it? Do you really want to fight over this? Because appeasement isn't necessarily going to make you be happy but you can, again you can't change them in the long run but i think being challenged in a situation where they thought they'd get away with this is going to actually be helpful overall okay well i will take this advice or alternatively maybe you'll would, drive them away from the uh, maybe that also be acceptable i think it's that whole thing about like challenging nazis at home and stuff like that it's like Maybe that's a jump. This guy was not a Nazi. He was definitely anti-Nazis, but he just was, like, not thinking about in those terms. But it's one of those things that, like, you know, you have to call these things out, nip it in the bud kind of thing. Um, I think, actually, your metaphor about calling Nazis out at home is an apt one. Because the Nazis are a problem, but the Nazis are not actually the problem with white supremacy in America. The problem with white supremacy in America is not even specifically white people. The, the problem with white supremacy in America is that 
Americans keep letting other Americans get away with it. Yes, don't let people get away with it. So, by, by challenging people who will adamantly say, I'm not a Nazi, but still make racist jokes and do racist accents, you are overall reducing the footholds those Nazis have in the future. Because you also don't know how many people in that group, by you not challenging it further, went away feeling like, wow, my group just really, like, doesn't care about this, it turns out. And they might... When, when, it, when we say people overreact to things, we're basing that on our interactions with other people. So they might go to somebody who does stand up for it, and they'll think back, well, she's a very left-wing progressive person, and they didn't stand up for it. This person is pro probably just overreacting. That's not meant to place the blame on you for this situation, but I do want to call it out because... We, we set those guidelines based on how the people around us behave. That's true. And there's like, there's sort of that joke that I know, I don't know if it's a joke. I don't know actually how to approach it because it's weird to me. But like, there's been those comments where like me being in places gives other people permission to do things that I think about a lot because I just do weird stuff and I have no shame about it. So other people are like, my slightly less weird thing is okay because <laughs> look at zero over there. I don't even know what that is. You're doing the same thing on a smaller scale when you don't challenge things. Yeah, okay. And I would say that, like, that is the feeling that I got that was, like, kind of what drove me to say, like, I should have said something about this. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we closed it. We did it. We figured it out. We got the snapback. We got, like, well, not a snapback, but we got, like, a reply. A short, sweet reply, which is, like, well, I care. That's really the heart of it. Yeah, we we got back to the Star Wars reply, which is our overall goal. It is. The the Empire Strikes Back, you don't care about anyone but yourself. <laughs> I care. Good job. You've done it. You're Luke Skywalker. We are successful. Roll credits. End podcast. We got to we went from zero to Luke Skywalker in one episode. End of podcast forever. No, I we have to do the other half of this. Oh, you're right. Crap. So tune in next time. For part two of Chi's opening story, queer trending is not a thing. I love you, Dad, but you're wrong. Thanks for joining us on this first episode of Dad, You're Wrong. I'm the editor and producer here to wrap things up. If you enjoyed this, please consider subscribing so you don't miss the next episode. Also, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. It will encourage us and help others find the show. You can also find show notes at dadyourong.buzzsprout.com. If you have a dadyourong situation you'd like us to consider for an upcoming episode, you can send us a message via email to dadyourong at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at dadyourong. That's D-A-D-Y-O-U-R-E-W-R-O-N-G. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next month for the next episode.